BCNA's Helpline provides a free, confidential phone and email service for people diagnosed with breast cancer. BCNA's experienced team will help with your questions and concerns and provide relevant resources and services. Call 1800 500 258 or email contact at bcna.org.au. Welcome to Upfront About Breast Cancer. Let's be upfront about advanced care planning and breast cancer. Living with breast cancer often means you need to make decisions about your treatment and care. As well as working with your treating team to work out decisions surrounding your current care, it's also good to think ahead and talk about the care you may want in the future if you were to become seriously ill and unable to communicate your preferences or make decisions regarding your care. Advanced care planning allows you to think about and document your preferences for future healthcare and can often provide a sense of relief to allow you to focus on living life fully in the present. Joining us for this episode of Upfront is Dr. Sonia Fullerton. Sonia is a consultant in palliative medicine who assists in patient-centred decisions, making and advanced care plans. This episode of Upfront about breast cancer is an unscripted conversation. The topics discussed are not intended to replace medical advice, nor necessarily represent the full spectrum of experience or clinical option. So please exercise self-care when listening to this podcast, as the content may be triggering or upsetting for some. Hello, Sonia, and welcome. Thank you very much. Great to be here. So tell us, what is advanced care planning? Advanced care planning is a lot simpler than people make out. Advanced care planning is the process for discussing and documenting your healthcare wishes and values and priorities in case there's a time in the future where you're not able to communicate those wishes and values. So often, if you brought up advanced care planning when you're healthy and in an everyday sort of setting, it wouldn't be confronting. But I imagine if it coincides with a breast cancer diagnosis or a metastatic breast cancer diagnosis, there can be a lot of fear that this means things are not going well. Yes, that's right. And I want to demystify that a little bit today. That happens quite often in my working life because I'm also a palliative care doctor. And sometimes when I start talking to people about advanced care planning, they get upset and they think that I'm meaning to tell them that the end of their life is approaching quickly, but it's not the case at all. Advanced care planning is the process of thinking about who would speak for you and what would they say if you were so unwell that you couldn't talk to the doctors and nurses about the care you wanted or the care that you didn't want? So this, I imagine, might not necessarily be a permanent case of not being able to express your wishes. It might be a decision that needs to be made while you're in surgery. Absolutely. Here's a great example. There's not many good things that came out of COVID, but COVID's given me a great example. Say you were very unwell and you went to the emergency department and the doctors wanted to ask you what sort of treatment that you wanted or treatment that you didn't want, but you were so sick you couldn't talk to them about it. Um, The advanced care planning is the process by which you let everyone know Who should make medical decisions for you? Who would be representing your best wishes in that situation where you couldn't make those decisions yourself? 
Is that a medical power of attorney? Such a good question. So this is a complicated answer because we're broadcasting today to many different states in Australia and each state has different laws about who this is. The old term in Victoria was medical power of attorney. The term that we use now in Victoria is medical treatment decision maker, but different states use different terms. So it might be the enduring guardian, enduring power of attorney, substitute decision maker. They all mean the same thing. It's the person that would make medical decisions for you if you were incapacitated for any reason. Okay, so we're talking about nominating a person or persons who quite often would be a family member, but not necessarily. Yes. Is it someone that you have to like or someone you share similar values with or someone who can just follow directions? I think that last point is the most important one. So ideally, it's someone who's are confident, who would be able to speak up and express your wishes. You want that person to really understand that when they're being asked to make a decision, that person is not being asked about their own views. They are being asked about your views, the patient's views about what treatment they wanted or didn't wanted. Ideally, it would be someone who's available to make that decision, but of course, they could be available on the phone or on Skype, so that's not necessary. So how do you go about filling out an advanced care plan? It is two bits to it to think about who would speak for you if you were unwell and what would they say. Thinking about the first bit first, who would speak for you. Um, in the law, there's a list of people that the doctors would go to ask. So, for example, it might be an appointed legal guardian or your spouse or your siblings, etc., if you want someone in particular that's not on that list, then you need to appoint them as your medical treatment decision maker or enduring guardian, whichever term's used in your state. So that's the first thing, to think about who you would like to appoint. The second thing is about what they would say. And advanced care planning can involve formal legal documents that you have to get signed and witnessed, etc. Or it can be as simple as having a conversation over Christmas. Oh, you know what happened to Auntie Gladys? She went into a nursing home, she lost all her marbles, she couldn't talk to anyone, she hated it. I would never want that to happen to me. That's the sort of conversation that you might have over the dinner table at Christmas. And when your friends and family know what your wishes are, then they can represent those wishes if they ever need to. I know we're talking about this largely in a breast cancer context, but the fact is, even if you do have breast cancer, advanced breast cancer, metastatic, no matter who you are, things can happen unexpectedly. Even with a breast cancer diagnosis, something else can happen Correct. where all of a sudden you cannot verbalise yes. your wishes. That's right. So metastatic breast cancer is um, what's one of the tricky things about it. People can live so well for such a long time and then suddenly something unexpected can happen that can interfere with your ability to make decisions for yourself. So I can think of two examples that are common in metastatic breast cancer. One is that sometimes um, some of the cancer metastasizes to the brain and that can temporarily interfere with your decision-making capacity. Um, secondly, sometimes people can run into trouble with high calcium in their blood, which can also cause a temporary um, confusion or delirium state. That means that you're not able to make your own medical decisions. So they're two quite common scenarios in which we would expect the person to then, with treatment, go on to improve their decision making status afterwards. What you want is to have someone 
um, chosen who will represent your wishes and express to the doctors whether you'd like treatment or you wouldn't like treatment or what sort of treatment would be in line with your preferences and values so that you retain power over what happens if you become unwell and lose your ability to make or communicate decisions. So when appointing that person, as we've just touched on it, the immediate thought might be a family member. Mm. If you do get to a scenario where you are unable to verbalise, that's likely to be a very emotionally charged situation. So that's possibly another thought that the emotions might get in the way of carrying out your wishes. Yes. And when I'm going through these appointments with the patient and with their selected medical treatment decision maker, um, I always talk about that, that um, I make sure that the person who's appointed is aware that we're asking for the views of the patient, not for their own views. Sometimes in the heat of the moment when people are really upset, they might say things like, I know mum wouldn't want this treatment, but I can't bear to let her go. But I always bring it back to the wishes of the person. That's the most important thing in delivering that care. Okay, so whether you're talking about a conversation or writing it down or making Mm -hmm. it formal as far as downloading the form off the Advanced Care Planning website, how much detail should someone go into when talking about an Advanced Care Plan? Great question. Previously, I think we put a lot of emphasis on refusing or accepting certain treatments things like, I don't want cardiopulmonary resuscitation, or I don't want dialysis, or I do want life-prolonging treatments. Um, But what we're trying to move towards is the way to really respect someone's values and preferences. So sometimes when I'm talking to people, I talk to them about me because that's easier. For me, my cognition, my brain power is really important. I love being on the internet, talking to people, communicating with my children. Um, I'm not much of a sports person. And so if I lost the ability to walk, for example, that would not necessarily um, be, be something that wouldn't make my life worth living. However, if I lost my cognition permanently and I wasn't able to communicate with people or read a book or go on the internet, that would be something that meant that my life probably wouldn't be worth living. And every single person is different. A professional sports person would possibly have a different point of view. So we like to ask the person about their preferences and values, what's important to them. A conversation like that seems less confronting too, rather than sitting there saying, how do you feel about life support? How do you feel about amputation? How do you feel about losing your sight or your hearing or being incapacitated versus what do you what do you love most about your life is it being in the garden is it being um being able to watch television yes or for some people their beloved pet is the most important thing for them so in that setting when I was thinking about planning someone's future care uh, perhaps I would be offering them an admission to hospital where their pet couldn't come to see them. So if someone's expressed to me that their dog is so important in their life and that's the their main joy in life, then I would try to look for solutions that would enable that to keep happening. Okay, so we have the difference between making something formal mm-hmm. and legal and just having a conversation. Do they both, well, they can't both carry the same weight, they but do not. They, they must both have their value. Absolutely. In Victoria, there are two types of advanced directives. A values directive, which is what I've just been talking about. I love taking my dog for walks. I want to be independent. Um, I would hate 
to be so unwell that people would have to shower me or, or wipe my bottom. Um, and then there's an instructional directive, which is much more specific. I do not want cardiopulmonary resuscitation. I do not want to have dialysis. When I'm talking with people, I try to steer them more towards the values directive. The disadvantage and the advantage of the values directive is that we must take it into consideration, but it's not binding. An instructional directive is binding on the doctor, so it's a very powerful instrument. So if, if you write an instructional directive that says, I do not want cardiopulmonary resuscitation, I don't want you jumping on my chest and breaking my ribs, I may not give cardiopulmonary resuscitation to that person. It's a very powerful instrument. So when I'm talking with people, I often try to steer them more towards statements of their values so that there's some flexibility. Looking for practical information to help you make decisions about your diagnosis, whether DCIS, early or metastatic breast cancer? BCNA's My Journey features articles, webcasts, videos and podcasts about breast cancer during treatment and beyond to help you, your friends and family as you progress through your journey. It also features a symptom tracker to help you manage the changing symptoms you may encounter during your own breast cancer experience. My Journey. Download the app or sign up online at myjourney.org.au. How often should you update an advanced care plan? Depends a little on whether your health condition is changing, but I think that we find that people's values and preferences remain relatively stable through time. So I'm the sort of person who would say, if I were dying of cancer, for example, I would not want to have life-prolonging treatments if my quality of life was poor. I say that as a person who doesn't have cancer, I'm certain that if I did have cancer, my views and my preferences would be similar. Um, if you write a very explicit thing, like about cardiopulmonary resuscitation or something in an instructional directive, that sort of wish might change over time. If it's written down, say mm. in a diary or a notebook, yes, is that still binding? No. It has to be on the appropriate form. A medical practitioner has to verify that you've got that you understand what you're signing and what you're writing down. It's quite a, a strict criteria. But if you wrote in your diary um, a, a diary note about what you did or didn't want, then that would be a values directive and it's something that I must take into consideration. To that end, it's great to write all this down and it's great to have these discussions, but if something happens quickly... Mm. How do we know where to find it? Oh, that is such a great question. Can I tell you a funny story? <laughs> Please do. Um, there was a lady who was being looked after by the community palliative care team and often the community palliative care team would tell the patients, put your advance directive on the fridge, so with a fridge magnet on the fridge. She'd misheard the instructions and she kept it in the fridge. And a number of different people told her, no, you can't keep it in the fridge. The ambulance officers will not be coming and looking in your fridge. But she was adamant. Palliative care told her, put it in her fridge. And that's where it stayed. It was very cold, but not very accessible. Oh, so they found it, though? No, I don't think they oh, did. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> so I think the key is communication about your wishes. So I hope that everyone listening to this podcast, if they think that advanced care planning is something that they might do, will jump on the Advanced Care Planning Australia website, have a look at some of those forms. If you fill them out, here's the important thing. Make a bunch of copies 
upload one to my health record, give one to your general practitioner and send another one to your local health service. So your local hospital, the place that you would go if you were unwell, and they'll pop it in their records. And then if you unluckily turn up to ED on Saturday night at three in the morning, um, they will have those documents there available for you. Because almost people never remember because they're confused, they're unwell, they're upset. It's an upsetting situation. They don't remember to take their forms with them. Who could assist you in starting that process? It sounds a little bit daunting to upload. And also, do you have to fill out all the questions in a directive? Can you just select what's really important to you? Absolutely. You can select what's important to you. Your general practitioner can assist you. Um, If I were doing uh, one, I think I would print out some forms, have a preliminary discussion with my family members, and then go along to my general practitioner to ask if they can assist you with signing those forms. Um, to upload them to the My Health record, it does take a small, a bit of technical expertise. So you might need to get a, a friend or a relative just to help you upload that PDF. Um, and you might also need access to a photocopier just to make a bunch of copies and distribute them. Do many people do advanced care plans? So, no, not as many people as there should. The thing that makes me sad is that a number of people do do them and the statistics according to the research studies vary over which setting you're in. But many people have done some sort of advanced care planning, but it hasn't made it into the hospital records to that place where at the point of care, the doctor looking after you is going to see it. So if you don't have an advanced care plan yes, and you don't happen to have anyone around that knows what your wishes are or in fact you might have two people that have differing opinions of what what happens. Oh, so that's a very common situation, unfortunately. When someone comes into the emergency department, for example, we would do an assessment of their medical situation and then we will identify who the correct person is to be able to make decisions on your behalf if you're not able to. I should also say that, of course, if you are able to make your own decisions, we will always ask you. If you're not able to make your own decisions, we run through the hierarchy of who is the right person to make those decisions. Sometimes when that happens, we turn to that person, it might be the elderly husband or the elderly wife, and we ask, oh, what did your husband say about the sorts of treatments he wanted or he didn't want? What do you think he would want us to do now? And very commonly... Um, the person looks back at us and says, I don't know, we never discussed it. I wish we had, but we never discussed it and now I'm not sure what what they would want. Then we have to together work with with the substitute decision maker to try and make the best decision, the most appropriate decision we think would be the right one to make for that person. But it doesn't have the direct input of the patient who's unwell. Quite often people don't want to talk about it because Mm. despite the fact that death may not be imminent, it's still associated with end of life. Yes. And sometimes people think, well, I'm not going to be here. They can make those decisions. I don't care. It's a very big burden to leave with someone you love, isn't it? It is. And research studies have shown that advanced care planning actually reduces anxiety and depression 
after the patient dies in the surviving relatives. Sometimes people talk to me and say, oh, look, I, I don't want to do it. I don't see why it will benefit me. You'll just make the decision. I won't know anything about it. But actually, if we do go through this process, it relieves that burden of making that decision on your friends and family because they know that they've upheld your wishes and they feel less guilty afterwards. And also not guilty about having possibly made the wrong choice. That's right, because they know what the right choice was because you told them over Christmas dinner. You said, don't let this happen to me. This is what I want in this situation. Mm. So it's not just about you. It's actually about those you love as well. Absolutely. Um, Because some of the treatments that we can give... um, we are not always certain that it's the right thing to do. So say someone with very advanced breast cancer was very unwell. There are some treatments that we could give to try to turn the situation around. Sometimes those treatments are very burdensome for the patient. And if the patient desperately wanted to try those treatments, of course, we would go through that process of discussing the, the, um, the pros and cons of those treatments. But if the person, going back to my dog story, for example, if the person really wanted to be at home with their dog, then we can direct the person's care down a different road. It's a way of the patient retaining control over the medical decisions being made about them even if they're unwell and not able to participate at the time. If you have filled out an advanced care plan, can you change it? Absolutely, yes, you can change it. Yes. At any time? And is any it time. easy to change or do you have to go through the whole process? Again? You just have to, you have to go through the whole process again, yes. Okay. So what about end of life? Mm. That is part of advanced care planning. It's not the whole part of it. Yes. But you have a beginning of life and yes. you have an end of life. And I love talking about end of life care because I'm a palliative care doctor. But I just want to say again to get it off my chest that advanced care planning is not just about end of life care. But of course, when someone is very unwell and their condition is deteriorating, they may have run through a number of different lines of treatment for their metastatic breast cancer. They may be getting to a situation where there were fewer lines of treatment that, that they could have in the future. I think it's a terrific idea to think about this sort of thing. We know that the majority of Australians want to die at home, but actually only 15% of Australians manage to die at home. If a medical situation is getting worse, it's a great idea just to think about the sort of care that you would want and the sort of care that you wouldn't want, where you would like to be, what sort of treatment you might like or not like. Discuss that with your friends and family. If you want to put it in an advanced directive, that's fantastic as well because palliative care services are available in the community to help look after you at home most of the time. You might not need to go into hospital as much or or at all, in fact. And a reminder also that this is in a situation where you are unable to verbalise. Yes, advanced care plans only um, are enacted when a person either can't verbalise or their brain is not working well, they have a delirium so they can't be involved in those decisions. If you are well enough to be able to understand medical decisions and communicate them to everyone, then advanced care planning does not come into play. We will always ask you what your wishes are. Pointing to the research about less anxiety Mm. for those that have to make those decisions if there's an advanced care plan, is there some evidence to show that someone who has filled out an advanced care plan leads a better quality of life? There is. So we know that people who've engaged in the process of advanced care planning, they spend less time in hospital. 
they have less futile interventions. So a futile intervention in someone who's dying might be going to intensive care or having CPR. We know that people who've gone through the process of advanced care planning can avoid those types of treatments that may not add value to their care and add value to their life. Well, thank you, uh, Sonia. It's a really important conversation. Like you said, it can be quite beautiful, a conversation where you can really get to know someone, even that you thought you knew really well, there's always something to learn about what they might like and and what they might not want in relation to their values and, and how they want to live their life. Absolutely. Yes, it's really valuable. It's like gold, having had a patient who's had this conversation with their family. So even if I can't talk to them directly about what they want, I can gather their wishes and values from their friends and family and make sure they get the care that they want and that they don't get the care that they don't want. And as a palliative care doctor, what is your greatest joy or privilege in being involved in the care of someone who has advanced illness yes. and is able to carry out their wishes either in the in the short term or at the end of life. The fun thing in my day is when the patient says to me, I've had enough of being in hospital, I want to get home. And my team and I pull out all the stops and often we can get them home that same day or if not the next day. And we can provide community palliative care services and the equipment that they need to be at home. I think that's the thing that's really fun for me. It takes a lot of teamwork and communication. And I'm sure you'd really like to work to help take the fear out of this subject. Absolutely, yes. Um, I think that um, people can be very frightened and I see that when I start an advanced care planning conversation, people are frightened and they think it means that I'm telling them that they're about to die. It's not at all the case. I just want them to be able to communicate their views, express their views and have some control over what treatments that they get if they ever were to become confused and not able to say for themselves. And again, the best place to find all you need to know about an advanced care plan? It is advancedcareplanning.org.au. That's the um, Advanced Care Planning Australia site. And they have different pages for each state. So if you live in Queensland, you can go into the Queensland state and get the documents that are appropriate for your jurisdiction. Thank you to Dr Sonia Fullerton for joining us. And this podcast was brought to you with thanks to Dry July. BCNA's My Journey has a range of resources about planning ahead when you have metastatic breast cancer. Sign up and visit myjourney.org.au. Don't forget BCNA's online network is also an online peer-to-peer support community where you can connect with others going through a similar experience. To join, visit the BCNA website. Subscribe to ensure you never miss an episode of Upfront and download so you always have an episode ready to listen to. Leave a rating and review and tell us what you liked about the episode and complete the survey that you'll find in the show notes. This survey will help us to tailor and create content that's relevant to your breast cancer diagnosis. Thanks for joining us. I'm Kelly Curtin. It's good to be upfront with you. BCNA's online network is an active peer-to-peer support community where people affected by breast cancer can find information and connect with others who understand what you're going through. 
read posts, write your own, ask a question, start a discussion and support others. The online network is available for you at every stage of your breast cancer journey, as well as your family, partner and friends. For more information, visit bcna.org.au forward slash online network.